I am road tripping it, folks. I'm heading home from Gunsight, and I'm going to give you your after-action report. Sorry about the delay. Things just didn't work out the way I wanted them to in order to uh, do the podcast while I was there. Um, Mark was a really kind of still sick from the pneumonia, and he's been laid up for weeks. He was supposed to have another couple, like two, three weeks of recovery time, and instead he was down here. So um, as soon as we got back, he would go back to the uh, room, lay down and all that. So I, I really didn't do anything podcasty. And then my black cloud and my personal kind of nightmare continues. So that really took me off task with a lot of things going on. So right off the bat, I want to talk about heading out to gun site. So I, it was, like I had said in the previous podcast, it was all last minute. Right, that I, I was going there, um, really not called ahead. I, I figured it's a private class, what's the big deal? So I had taken the scope and everything off my 300 Norma, and I, I talked about having the, you know, the AB ammo in case it was hot down there. I had the Andrew McCourt loads, and then I had picked up that Nexus ammo just to see what's going on, and then brought all the other rifles and stuff. So I, you know, I figured I got options, I'm driving, I can carry more and I could do all this stuff. Well, get up that morning, I gotta grab a scope and I go into the vault and I first grab the three to 27. I want something with a lot of mills. And I look at it and it's not in rings or anything. And I go, oh, wait a minute. This one's MOA, I'm not gonna take this scope. It's got MOA and everybody's shooting mills and you know. So then I'm like, oh wait, here's the five to 45 and it's in the really right stuff rings and I think that one's a mill and I'll just grab it. I don't even look. I got like one light in my garage at six in the morning and I just grab it because in my brain, I think it's MOA or mill rather, it's mill. Throw it in the bag, don't even look at it. Put it in the bag, put everything in the car and uneventful, nice easy drive to gun site. No problem. I get there, see everybody's hanging out in the patio at the Days Inn. Hey, how's everybody doing? Ready for tomorrow? Yeah, we are. All good. Get up the next morning and, and we're ready to go. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's on. Classroom. So we don't even take stuff out. We do the classroom. I'm taking some great notes, getting some different perspective on things. You know, they're giving you, they don't teach marksmanship in this class. They already assume you know how to do it. And they actually let go the prerequisites because we told them these were all our students. And with this private class, don't worry about it. And and at the end, I'll tell you, like, Corey even made mention that everybody shot really well from that standpoint. And they did. The Alaska Precision Rifle guys who were there did Mark and myself proud throughout the weekend. The, The guys were fantastic. Okay. They shot really, really well. They took instruction really well. Everything was good. So we do the classroom, and then that afternoon, we go to zero at 100 yards. Now, in the past, when I had been to gun site, I had driven my personal vehicle in that back area, the ranges. Well, this time, they don't want you back there. <laughs> and I get it, you know, a lot of guys. And we pile everything in the vehicle. So nothing's really set up for me to do those three rifles. I got to pick one. It's one or the other. You know what I mean? We can't play both. So I, I, I go to set up my 300 Norma, and this one's going to go and get an accident. 
<laughs> person in front of me just tried to pass everybody and got in an accident and just missed getting in an accident. I'm on the road here, man. This is hysterical. So I go and mount up the um, Schmittenbender 5 to 45. I bore sight it. I get up to look at it and understand the new Schmitts aren't marked. They don't say what they are on top. This one is MOA too. I'm like, oh no. This is, the, I'm the only one in the class shooting an MOA scope. But when I bore sighted it and shot, the thing was a rock star. Right where I needed to be, super easy. I mean, I did the two strings they wanted you to shoot and I was zeroed with a great, great group. I took a picture of it, I'm gonna put it up. You guys, it's impressive. For people who say this 300 Norma, yada, 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 the 300 Norma is fine. Don't over twist it, and I'll get to that later, but there's no issue with the 300 Norma. It put them in sub 3 eighths off a bipod at 100 yards, all in pretty much one kind of little oblong hole. It was, it was hammer. And that's that Andrew McCourt load. Well, now we're, we're, we're checking different things. We're going through the process at 100 yards. We're checking drop at 300 yards. And we're going to do some stuff to pre-true our software. So guys are pulling scopes and checking that out. And I know Mom, the Schmidt was good. It was already tested. So I don't do that. But, uh, you know, I'm running the number drop. And right now I'm getting numbers that it's like 3,030 feet per second with this McCourt load, which is sporty out of a 25-inch barrel. You know what I mean? But it's hammering them in one hole, so I'm good. Go back, get the homework, everything's good. And I said to Corey, you know, at first when I was kind of playing with the multiple rifles and realized it didn't work, I said to Corey, I said, listen, I'm just gonna be that guy today because I gotta assemble and do all these rifles right here. Then we realized that was a no-go. It wasn't gonna happen, let's not even do it. So I'm not even gonna bring those other two rifles out. And it's just the, the way logistics are working. So we finish that day, we get our data, we all kind of sit around and, and we're running crunching numbers after dinner and, and all that. We go out to eat, we're, we're talking about the class, the different things and everything's good. We get up the next day, now we go straight out to the ranges and we're gonna start calibrating and truing out to distance and we're going to the HK range. So that means not only muzzle velocities at the shooter, but muzzle velocities downrange. Um, uh, Corey has those shot callers, the one from the, the electronic targets from Canada, uh, the guy who does the auto trickler and all that stuff. I have one, and, and actually it was great that I got to talk to Tor Corey about it, but we're using a lot of electronics to get downrange data. Lab radars, the, the, um, the, the shot caller downrange, all that different stuff. 500 yards, a thousand, it's, I think it's meters. 500 meters, a thousand meters, and 1500 meters, we get dope at. And we're, we're doing this. And at first, they're kind of like, well, you know, not all of you guys are going to be shooting at 1500 meters first thing this morning. But we did because we were so spot on. So everybody got done pretty darn early that first day. But I run into a situation. So I'm shooting well, I'm digging what the Schmidt's doing, but Mark's like, dude, you're MOA, we're all mill, stop that shit. What do you got in your car? I said, well, I do have the zero compromise in the car. And he's like, dude, put that on. 
And I'm like, well, I, I really like where I'm at with the Schmidt. The Zero was, everything was good. I mean, the Zero was perfect. Everything was money. He's like, no, no, no. There's a target there at 100 yards. Just do it. So I go to switch it up and nothing's working right. It's like, it's not quite doing what it's supposed to. And even my data, when I went back, the thousand yard was like off. And don't jump ahead of me here, but listen, my something's not right. And I'm like, God damn, Mark, you had me change this thing and I don't like where it's at and I'm not happy what's going on and the zero compromise mounts taller and all that, put it back. So I put it back. I put everything back, re-zero it, everything's back up and we break for lunch. So I'm thinking, okay, after lunch, I can kind of establish some other information. I can make sure it's good, but... I've now taken the gun apart first thing in the morning and swapped scopes twice. Okay, what a friggin' idiot. And, and again, this is going to my black cloud and, and why things are just not working for me. And this is going to be a theme for the, the, the week. We come back from lunch and the winds are cranking up and the way they heat it up and everything. So Walt and Corey are like, we're going in the classroom. We're not going back out to shoot. Okay, because they have more lessons and stuff. But it, it kind of puts me in a weird place because I did that little sidetrack of a scope on, scope off, scope on, scope off thing. Eh, all right. And like I said, we're, we're in the classroom. We're getting some lessons on spotter dialogue. We're getting some lessons on doing our software. We're doing all this. I'm crunching all my numbers. I'm running everything. And there's a weird one-minute hiccup in my data the ends are great in the middle I got a one minute variation and I'm like not happy about it why is this one minute there I don't know so pack up days over classroom you know didn't go back out and and we, we go back we're all talking we're sitting around hanging out Mark's back in the room so he's not there and I just throw my guns in the in the room and, and, and we're out and I'm not thinking about it. Didn't look at my rifle, just put it in my drag bag and I'm, and I'm all done. Well, next day, now we're gonna do the, the, the ridge and the longer targets. And we start doing these strings of fire and the McCourt Andrew, while it's super accurate, once you pass that fifth round, it's getting real sticky on me. Getting pressure. I'm getting, because it's warming up, you know, everything. And I'm thinking this Remington 700 action that I'm using is just not bleeding off the heat well. And it's, 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 it's staying hot. Normal, a lot of powder. And it's, it's, it's getting bad. And I go, well, I got the AB. So I start running a little bit of AB, but the AB's working better. And, and Joe PP's there. And he's like, hey, I got a really soft load I brought with me. He's shooting 300 Norma 2, a 225 grain bullet load that he said is just over 2,900, but it's a really mellow, like, summer load. I grab a couple, I try them, and they're good, man. They're right there. They're accurate. My gun likes it. I said, God, Joe, I'll think about it. But I got AB, and the AB seems to be working. And my McCourt load's a 230. The AB's a 230. And, you know... I'm good because yours is a 225, but all it's all good. Break for lunch, you know, running through some data, 
you know, there's a little bit of wiggle here and there, but things are all right. You know, it's like, wasn't lighting the place on fire, getting some good wind calls in, but at the same time, this afternoon, we're going out to 2,000. Cool, man. We get in, we lay down, we're getting all this. These guys are hammering it. Everybody's hitting. I got some GoPro video. I got some stuff I'll put out there. And this is where I want to start talking about spin drift and Coriolis, okay? I saw the problem. I explained the problem, and it needs to be addressed. There is a problem with your software in terms of spin drift Coriolis. It's wrong. I don't care. Argue with me all day you want. I will prove it to you. It's wrong. Gunsight works with field firing solution. And as I've mentioned in the past, field firing solution and cold bore don't overdo those spin drift and Coriolis. They're, they're actually less than the other software. And what I noticed with the guys in the class running the Kestrels and some of the other stuff, between 1,200 and 1,500 yards, meters, whatever you want to call it, because their range is meter at times, but between 12 and 1,500, their software is calling for 0.6 or 0.8 tenths of spin drift Coriolis combination. Eight tenths at 1,500, a lot. Well, Gunsight wants you to be neutral. They want you to turn that on and to use it. And they want you to dial that part out and then just hold wind. Good, it's, it's a good way of doing it, no, no question there. And in the class, I say nothing when it comes to the spin drift and Coriolis. I keep my opinion to myself because I'm a student and I'm not there to debate the instructor on your time about my philosophies with spin drift and Coriolis but I'm just not gonna do it in that way. I've had tried it, I've been to this class before. I know where my head's at and why I tell you guys I don't use it. But now we get to the 2,000 meter part of the class and we're gonna shoot out far and I'm spotting because my bolt lift is getting kinda heavy and stuff so I wanna shoot less. Well, we got these winds and the winds coming from right to left okay right to left wind left to right wind it's swirling it's it's coming up it's coming down it's kind of meeting in the middle we got these dust devils appearing right in the middle of the target package but then it, it's kind of like almost wanting to be like head and tail where it's only like a mill one way half a mill all this other stuff and, and it's, it's becoming relatively small. And I'm spotting for Jeremy. And I notice it's like it should be a center hold. Okay, we're coming from the left and it should be a center hold. Wind's coming from left to right. It starts off like half mil. Then it's down to edge of plate. Then it should be center. But instead, when I'm looking at his impact, I have to put him almost 0.3 to 0.5 on the right side of the plate. And as soon as that starts happening once too often, I'm like, Jeremy, what's going on here? Why are you on that side of the plate? It's not right. You're not neutral. 
where he's got point like 6.8 dialed in of spin drift. So he's so far to the left, even with a left win, you know, I got to put the main cross here to the right. That's telling me right there with a neon sign, the computer's giving him too much. Okay? Ain't working. And we're seeing this across the board. And I'm going to explain it to more. But first, I got to get into my black cloud situation. Remember I told you I had this hump in my, in my data. Well, I get up to shoot and I like nail the first two targets. Money. I'm on it. Never got to shoot more than twice at these distances. 17, 60, 18, going to 19. Get up for that 19 and something before the 2000. And this is meter. And now my gun's getting a little sticky again. Afternoon, the whole thing. I go to freaking have to lift the bolt up. And I notice my chassis loose. My action screws had come undone. The back one is only being held on by like one thread. And the whole thing, and, and Corey's like laughing, like number one, he's like, dude, what is going on with you? And I'm that guy every day with something. And then he's like, how the heck did you hit with it that loose? And I'm like, I have no idea. So my tools to fix this is back at my car, which is back at the main part of gun site over a half hour away. And we're all here with all our gear and the stuff. So I can't go back. Then nobody's got the tool with them either that needs to go up into the chassis for my action screws. I have it. It's just sitting in the back of my car. I have my fix-it sticks with me. I have my Allen keys for my scopes, but I don't have that one part in my torque limiter to do it right there. Because I just grabbed my bag and my rifle and I was there with my ammo. E-blah, I'm done. Throw the rifle up, so now I'm spotting. And this is where I'm seeing this and I see it with Bryson. So now I'm seeing Bryson's in the same spot. Shooting with Jeremy, he's got .6 dialed on and I got to hold them the wrong way. Here is the rule of thumb. This will work for you every time. If you want to neutralize your spin drift and Coriolis at distance and your ELR shooting, 1,500 meters to 2,000 meters, your answer is 0.3. Don't put more than 0.3 three on the gun. Point three will neutralize you out, will not wreck your wind calls, and it'll be something easy you can remember. If you're an MOA guy, it's a minute. But it doesn't kick in and you don't need it until 1,500 meters. I didn't dial on any of that in at all. My hit count when my shit did work, and I'll get into that in a minute, was great. I had on the last day when I had everything back up and running, which I'll talk about, um, it was it was right there. And when I did that with these guys, and after the fact, so after hours, they're like, what's going on? What's going on? Why are you, you know, where are you seeing? What's, what are you seeing? How are you seeing it? And how should we do this? 
So, you know, the students after class start going to me. Like I said, I'm not going to give a class at the class, but guys, when we're sitting around having beers at the end of the day, we're talking about it. So I tell them, these computers are wrong, man. They're not right. And every new piece of data that we start to get, like really good stuff, like with the Jim Boatwright things and all that, the numbers are inching down every year. Used to be, they used to tell you spin drift with a 308 was a foot at a thousand yards. Then it was 10 inches. Now it's eight inches. But then Boatwright just put like between eight and six inches. And when they measured it, they only saw six inches. Okay, so the more and more powerful software gets, the better our equipment gets, the more we can see, all this other stuff, it's getting smaller. Not once has it gotten bigger, except with the software guys who put these time of flight flat rates in there and do it wrong because they're using the same old unadjusted formula from the 1950s. It's not science to the degree you say if it's different for everybody. And it was different for everybody. We had 0.6, 0.8, 0.3, nothing on the line. It's all over the map because there's trigger control things. There's wind issues. There's canting issues on the individual. Hold, position, all this stuff is matters, right? All these different things matter. So it's not something that we're in a mechanical vice and they can say the answer is X because they're ignoring Y and Z. X is not marking the spot. So my advice to you, 0.3 and not until 1,500 meters. You could do 1,500 yards because we're American and the whole thing. But that's where this kicks in. When I'm giving wind calls, and I'm, I'm nailing wind, man. I'm having like a, a good old time with this stuff. I, 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 was, I was really happy with what I was seeing. Steve, one of the guys, Steve, come up to me yesterday. We're on the Sniper Ridge. We're finding all these camouflage targets. Bing, bang, boom. We had this really tricky wind, which I'm going to go into with my last day in a second. But he came up to me. He's like, how are you doing that? And, you know, you're not using a uh, Kestrel. I said, yeah, because the terrain and everything, it's too complex right now. And I can't use the Kestrel because um, the way the terrain and that range is out there, it's a very kind of complex situation. So the Kestrel won't do me any good. But I'm nailing wind calls. Okay. I can go up there and get you first and second round hits super close across this tricky situation. So we go back that night. I'm talking in, you know, I'm seeing what we're seeing in all this. The next day we go out to Sniper Ridge and I get back to the room where I should go back up. I get back to the room. I get my gun put back together. I torque it all down, I check it, I clean it up a little bit. I think, well, it's carving it up. I'm seeing a bit of carving with the suppressor. I clean that up a little bit, pull a bore snake through it, and I figure with the AB ammo, I'll save myself a little bit with lack of pressure signs by cleaning it up, but I'm ready to go for Thursday morning. Thursday morning, we get out on the ridge, Mark, me, and Steve are a team, everybody breaks down, we go to our section. Now, as soon as we start, Every stage area has five targets in it. 
You're supposed to, the instruction is find them, range them, engage them. They're camouflage. You got to look for them. They want you to do target reference points. They want you to talk the spot, sniper spotter dialogue that we did. All this really good stuff. But most of us being, you know, Mark and everything with that, what we do is as soon as we sit down, we start sketching. We're sketching our front. We got our limit. Here's your left and right limit. There's five targets between there. So we, we scan, we're sketching, we're putting you know terrain features and things that stick out to call different guys onto the different targets. And most of us are operating that way. We get up to our first uh, stage, we're getting good hits. I got it written down, I think I had like uh, three second round hits and two first round hits to you know 1500 from between, no target was closer than a thousand yards, but not even in this stage. We didn't have a target, I don't think, closer to, to like 1,100, 1,200 yards. But all morning, the closest target wasn't more, less than, it was 1,080 was our closest. And I'm, I'm, I'm got it. Well, as I'm shooting more and like that, gun's getting a little sticky again. Starting to get heavy bolt lift as the sun comes up. I mean, you'll see, we're all sunburned. You know what I mean? Our faces are all sunburned, the back of our necks. So even the AB's getting sticky. And I'm like, ah, all right. So Joe's like, hey man, I got that load you tried and it worked good in your gun and you want to give it a, a whirl. So I said, yeah, Joe, I'll shoot your rounds now. You know, you got a hundred of them there and it's a light load and my gun liked it. So I get to this target at distance and it's got a lot of area around it. I put Joe's bullet in, I shoot it, I see it, I correct over, I shoot again, I get a second round hit. I shoot again, I confirm it, I dial it up, I go into my software, I make the adjustments to line them up, I go to another target, I'm on, I go to another target, I'm on. So I got my data, like all I did was lower my muzzle velocity from the AB number to the uh, to Joe's number and it dropped it down to like 2940 and I'm money. I'm like, great man, nice soft load, everything's good, I'm hitting again, I'm back up and running. So understand, I'm switching all this crap do as I say, don't what I do. I'm a freaking scatterbrain. This dark cloud is killing me, but I'm doing it. So I'm nailing, I'm nailing. We got Walt there with us. And all of a sudden I fire one off and I hear crack. Mark goes, that doesn't sound good. And he looks up and he sees a blue cloud of smoke come out my suppressor and I heard it I got an end cap strike with Joe's load what happened was Joe used 50 caliber powder Joe's Norma has like a 33 or 34 inch barrel 32 to 34 it's long Joe's I have pictures of him online it's bigger than me so he was using this insanely slow powder 50 cal powder, one of the 800 something, I, I'm eight, you know, 82, 86, whatever it is, but slow burning powder. I have a 25 inch barrel in my suppressor, and guess what? The unburnt kernels are collecting in my can and they detonate and blow the bullet off course into 
the, the end cap. So I'm, I'm dogged. I, you know, I just blew, and it's like, Walt's like, dude, what's going on? You got this cloud. What the heck, man? Walt's like all, like, you need a Haitian woman, some pig's blood, a chicken, a cigar, some 151 rum. You need to be exercised because you got a problem. Dude, you don't touch me. Don't breathe on me. Your bad luck has got to be contagious. This is the worst thing going. I'm like, oh, my God. Right? This is, this is before lunch. And that's, that's been my whole week. I should have gone home every time my stuff broke. And I, and I was going to go home Thursday. I wasn't even going to shoot Thursday. But I wanted to stay and support the guys. I wanted to do all this stuff. But, man, it was just, it got progressively worse and worse and worse. And this is an accumulation of like two, three years of heavy travel, of all this going on and stuff just piling up and, and me just not being organized. And it's now biting me in such a bad way. All right, I throw my gun to the side. I'm just going to spot. Well, Walt comes over and he sees... Like, we're making a range card, we're finding all the targets, and, you know, we're doing one at a time, and we're shooting them, and we're having good luck with it. Well, he says to me, he, or all of us, not me, he's like, no, guys, what I want you to do is get down on the gun as quick as you can, find your first, have your spotter, find your first target, and find it, range it, shoot it. You can't wait. You got to go on. I'm like, oh, no, we, 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 we tried it that way. We couldn't hit shit. They were pushing us fast. And I said, no, man. I start talking to Walt. We have time. We're going slow. Everything. And we're having a conversation. And this, this is a real, not an argument. We're having a conversation. Justify. Rationalize. What are we looking at? Why do you see it this way? You, you got to get up. He goes, what if... He goes, I'm putting a target out there. You got, you got battlefield. People could shoot back. The whole thing. All that, that. I get a target up there, I give you a, a, a 60 second view, and it goes down. If you don't find it, range it, shoot it, you'll miss it. So yeah, I don't care. Here's my thought process. I'm a surgeon, 1,500 yards away, hiding, you don't know I'm there. I wanna command my front and my battlefield. I don't wanna just see a guy who might only have a handgun or an M16 and take them out and expose my position or do all this. And he goes, well, but what if you shoot this and do that? And he moves. I said, what about a fixed machine gun position? What about a mortar tube? They're not moving quick, you know? And he's like, well, you do, blah, blah. And, all that. and I said, well, so we're discussing the pros and cons to the two different methods. I said, I can prioritize my targets. I can understand my front. I can reference everything. I find all my targets. I range all my targets. I mark my TRPs. I can guide people on the priority. And we found, and at lunch when we talked to everybody, because this happened with everyone, it was consistent in the class. We started out all doing range cards in that method where we found all the targets, we ranged them all, we marked everything, and we shot one at a time and went down from left to right, near to far, whatever the method the individual teams were doing, but that was the method. When every team tried to find it, range it, shoot it, go to the next one, and rushed it, their hit count went way down. So then we went back doing it the 
way we had been taught. Field sketch, range it, all that stuff, and it worked out great. So lunch comes, I go back, I take the gun apart, clean it up, I look at it, and I'm thinking, I said, you know what, maybe after lunch, I'm going to try, because I cleaned it a bit, I pulled the boar snake through, I, I took some of the pressure signs, I said, I'm going to try the AB again without the can, I'm going to shoot the gun, I'm going to try it. Come back after lunch, and I'm a new configuration now. So I said to Walt, I said, Walt, there is a target up there. It's got a lot of space. It was at 1460. It's got a lot of real estate around it. I want to re-zero this based on that 1460 target and re-true up my thing. Give me a spot. Boom. Got it. Move it over. Slide it up. Confirm, confirm. Go. Redo my dope. Check it. Good, good, good. It's spot on. The gun's shooting great. No pressure signs with the can off. None of this, none of that. It, I'm back up and running. And I'm like, oh man, this is going good. So now we're having fun again. We're starting to do all the um, different, you know, shoot this target, shoot that target. Mark and I are getting it. And it's funny, Mark's giving me calls, but I'm MOA. He's actually kind of calling me in Mills at first because, like I said, I'm the only oddball. I'm that guy. And in the class, he's, um, you know, he, 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 he's, he's giving me stuff and I'm like, you know, he's like, oh, use a mill, 4M away. And I'll hit the target and go, I use two for that mark because they're shooting 338. I'm shooting 300 Norma. I'm a lot flatter than him. So he's kind of giving me 338 calls, but my Norma's a lot better. So I'm modifying his calls. So it's becoming a little bit of a debate because they're saying, you know, at Gunsight, they're very pro of, the spotter gets the credit. The guy on the gun is just pulling the trigger. It's all about the spotter and the work he's doing. All you're supposed to do is do exactly what he says and, and do all this. So it, there's a little bit of kind of funny back and forth happening. And, uh, you know, but we're doing it with Steve. We're calling him in. I'm getting marked first round hits. I'm, I'm nailing it and all this. So we're, we're at this. We find this pepper popper out there at like 1300. And... It's tough to see. It looks like it's in a pile of bones. It's got this light white color with just this kind of darker green strip. It's really, really tough to see. We're finding it in there. We're lining it up. Mark gives me this 4M away call. Or, or he, he, he gives me three. He gives me a 3M away call. Wind's coming from the left. He gives me this, this 3M away call. And I'm holding four. First round hit it. And it's a small, it's not a full size, it's, it's, it's a little target. And I'm like, he's like, yeah, that's me, that's me, I did that, I did that. I'm like, nope, you told me three and I used four. So we're having fun and we're all yelling and it's a good time. But one of these things, it, it was tricky wins out there. And, and, you know, you're feeling it on your right, you're holding on your left, because it's swirling in those, in those terrain features. It's all terrain at gun sight on top of wind speed because there is some decent speed out there and that makes the terrain that much more a factor but we got steven we got this the whole thing everybody's getting really we hammered the snot out of these targets and the cool thing is like i said every target at gun site is camouflaged they're all all camouflaged they don't you have to find them they're tough to resolve you really got to go in 
You know, despite being MOA, I really liked the results I got with that Schmitten Bender. I think it treated me really well. The fight to 45, I shot a lot of it on 25 because it, it was clear at that, you know, uh, uh, magnification with the, with the higher end 45 and stuff. But it, it, it definitely treated me well. But I got to go. What I'm going to end up doing here, I'm going to take everything. I got to rip all my stuff apart. I got to inventory everything. I got to line it up. I got to send back and get rid of everything companies have sent me for reviews that I'm done with. I got to mail them back. I got to take all my rifles and clean them, strip them, put them all together, tighten them down, lock them up. Then I need to mark and manage my kit and say, this is a valid system. This is going to stay that. And if I'm not going to use something, if it's older, out of spec or whatever, I need to go put it up and put it away in the other vault and get rid of it. Okay. I just can't keep this much clutter. I can't be doing things this ass backwards way. It's beyond killing me. It's, it's adding to my, my nightmare of black cloudness and all this other stuff. And, and it's just wrong, man. I'm just finding these, you know, it, it, it's, it's great to see the mistakes that I'm making in a way. And I can explain them to in case you guys make them too. But man, I'm just having too bad a time with my travel. Because I'm last minute it. I'm not, I don't have anything put together and prepped. It's taking that barrel to action, putting it in that new chassis, putting on a brand new scope, stuff I have no time with, not being able to recognize this needs to be fine tuned and tweaked, this needs to be this way. And I have no experience on it other than to be like, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. No, that's not right. You know? it's it's really causing me headache it's costing me money it's drama build the gun keep the gun run the gun the way it is don't keep ripping crap apart and playing around with it I mean this I had no business being at gun site the way I was to be perfectly frank did I take stuff away did I learn stuff yep absolutely Did I have a good time with all the guys? Yes. In my mental state, in my physical state, and in my whole, the whole thing, I had no business being there. And yet it worked out, you know? Because there's a bit of experience with these different things. But man, I, 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 I feel like I got to spring clean my brain. I got to wipe out all this stuff. And again, it's just this accumulation of travel. You're doing something for years and you throw it down and it's like, okay, that's done. Up to the next one. And I'm actually going to start metering out what I'll take in and I'll work with. You know, I'm going to start metering out. Nope, I'm not going in that direction right now. I don't have time. It'll distract me. Talking about reviews though. I want to go and talk about the Nukon Spotter LRF Pro that I brought down with me. I brought the Laser Range Finder Spotter and I gave it to one of the guys who came from Alaska, the teams. Because, you know, they're not traveling with all that equipment. So they wanted everybody up spotting. We had four teams uh, of people and um, there was uh, three teams of four and one team of three. Okay. So I gave those guys that LRF. 
they loved it. They loved everything about it but the price. This is a 1550 nanometer laser. I don't know the beam divergence, but it's fast, it's accurate, it hit all their stuff. It has a built-in, it's a built-in spotter with a reticle. And all you do, there's no LED, no that, it's just the etch reticle. You just put the reticle on the target, hit the button, you got a range immediately down under. You have to kind of look down a little bit. Is there some tweaks and refinements? Yeah, it could use a few tweaks and refinements. The button push again, they need to maintain that tactile button push. They're squishy because it's the rubbering, the armor they put on. You know, it's easy fix. They fix that other one in seconds. They need to do that across the line. But the glass was good. The guy spot well. The laser was excellent. The only other downside, as far as I could tell, and I got to talk to Larry when I get back, the, it's only meters. And I think, and that's okay because Gunsight, most of their ranges are in meters. They'll do it for you both ways, but the ranges are, are pre-laid out in meters. So not a big deal on one end, but for us, you know, we're not near UNET. So I go to go into the menu and then we're looking in the book and I can't find anything that's telling me yards. And I realize, I'm like, I bet you, because it's got a mill reticle in it, they only did it in meters, thinking it matches the mill reticle. So I'm gonna talk to them about that. But they had, I got a lot of really great feedback from Jeremy and crew and those guys using it. Every day they loved it until they looked up the price at $7,500. I think it's worth every bit of $7,500. You're getting a decent Leopold-style spotter, an etched mill reticle, and a really fast, accurate laser. Jeremy got hits out on like a house and stuff at 4,500 meters with it, okay? They managed to get to 4,500 meters with that laser out at gun site. There was no targets that they couldn't range and get information on. So it was a great, great uh, way of looking at that product and putting it through its paces. Totally worked, that worked in my favor, and I was able to go and give it to those guys and let all of them play with it. I didn't have to do it, they did it for me. And, and gave me some, like I said, some really great feedback and stuff. So I think Nukon, with, with a couple small tweaks and refinements and none of it's earth shattering, is a really, really great viable laser ELR system for guys out there. And you gotta look at it, it's across the board, it's about a third the cost of electronics, with just in my book is much accuracy on the laser, okay? Like with the 25 Charlie being nine grand, and the 3500M being, you know, uh, six grand, you you can save some money that way, and and definitely, you know, save yourself three thousand bucks and get a laser that works every bit as good. Cables plugs in, talks to field firing solution, talks to cold bore, talks to different software. I'm sure it'll get better. Like I said, they got the apps are coming, so you can set all these things up with um, uh, 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 the app, so you don't have to go through the menus. You know, you don't have to do the button push of the menu. That's becoming a great feature with all this stuff, is that 
the the apps are running the equipment and it's a lot more user friendly for all of us so definitely you know I'm, I'm gonna be talking with the new con and in, in, in those guys and I think with some tweaks and some stuff you're gonna see it become a viable viable system and they're not like Cold War looking like they used to they've they've updated the user interface the features and all that back in the day they they kind of looked IORish you know what I mean they looked uh, military Russian tanks you know that kind of stuff today they don't look like that they're smaller they're armored up they're more elegant in, in, in their design and all they got to do is just you know separate the buttons from the armor a little bit so you get a nice tactile feel and they did that in their, their money so Anyway, the end result of my gun sight was they gun sight put on a fantastic show for the Alaska Precision Rifle guys. The Alaska Precision Rifle guys were on their game, made everybody look good themselves, their instructors. They were hitting. All Walt and Corey kept talking about is having to go out there and paint all these targets because they killed them. They were, they were beating them up. They weren't using 375s and all that stuff. I think 338 and 300 Norma was the most common. Uh, you know, uh, that I don't really think there might have been a wind mag on the line, but I don't think so. I think Norma and 338 were the most common stuff on the line. Jeremy and stuff probably had some of the best groups going down there and was using a desert tech. Oh, twist, twist, twist. So we had about four or five Normas. Okay, several. Rob and a couple had one in nine twists. He had some weird kind of anomaly stuff at 2000 with his where the rest of us with 10 twists didn't have a problem. Okay, there, there, there was, a, you know, he's thinking it should, you know, he's like, hey man, this is supposed to, um, uh, this is supposed to, um, what do you call it? Transition better with the nine twist. You know what I mean? The faster twist should be transitioning better. How come it was it was seeing some really bad stuff where the ten twist the ten twists were accurate as shit. And I don't see any reason to be going to these eights and stuff like that. We had no issues. You know, yeah, you could do the nine, but Rob was seeing some funkiness with the nine with the two thirties. And the tens weren't. Jeremy was eating it up with his desert tech. I didn't get to go as heavy because my gun was down, in, in, you know, for a lot of that part. But at the same time, um, Jeremy, which was running an almost identical system as mine, just in through the desert tech. I, I mean, he had groups at a thousand and fifteen hundred that were just spectacular. He had hits out at 2000 plus that were fantastic and that was with the norma with a 10 twist so think about those twist rates man think about how speed affects that stuff think about jacket technology in thinner burger jackets and def and deformation when you over twist because rob was seeing that what i think was happening with rob's bullet is exactly what I've talked about in the podcast. That slip underneath where the thing starts to then wobble. And he was getting a lot of inconsistent results because I think his 
the lead probably shifted enough that in then he wasn't maintaining that transonic transition and that stability like it's supposed to be giving you. Okay? Why are the slower twists transitioning and hitting better at the farther distance versus the faster twist? And I think it's part of that bullet being the weak link and that lead underneath and that wheel weight being off. You know, it's just, it is what it is, man. It's it's one of those things. So definitely, uh, you know, when we're out, you're doing this stuff, record data. I, I kept notes. I recorded data. I recommended everybody have a column in paperwork that said predicted actual. When I do ELR classes and when I do stuff with people, I always have my range card has a predicted and actual. I like the field sketch. I like putting everything out and putting notes on each target. Corey and those guys wanted us to have first round and second round indications on there. I did that. I now know not only what I used, but whether I hit first or second round. If it was a third round hit, it didn't count in their book. It had to be one or two. You had to have that consistency, that repeatability. You know, if you hit five rounds later, it didn't count. You didn't know what you were doing. Go back, reassess, change things, and relearn. And there was a couple times, you know, they put stuff in the woods and trick it out and, like I said, hide things. And we had some really weird, funky conditions where you'll start, you know, hammer, 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 hammer stuff. And what the heck is that guy doing, man? People, I tell you, driving is dangerous with some of these people. In the middle of the desert, just doing whatever the hell they want, pulling over for no reason, the wrong way. Holy cow, man. Some of these guys are shot. But anyway, sorry I didn't get anything done while I was out there. As you can tell, my black cloud is continuing. I need a reset. I think this weekend it's going to be tearing everything out. If my, if my weather is good at home, I, don't, I haven't looked, I don't know what it's going to be. I'm going to be laying out everything. I'm going to be putting away, getting rid of stuff that has no business being in my way. I'm going to be boxing up, shipping back, and getting rid of stuff. You know, it's just, it is what it is. I'm disoriented, man. I'm, I'm, ah, I just hate it. But gun sight is a bucket list, man. If you want any, I don't care if you go for handgun, carbine, precision rifle, their PR7 or whatever they can do, their ELR, their XLR, gun sight is worth your time. And I would do it sooner than later because you want to experience Corey and Walt they're great guys. They know their craft. Tessa, thank you. Everybody, thank you guys. I mean, we had a great time there. It's funny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of ramble on a little bit more. Uh, so we finish. Everybody says, we're all done. Let's go down to this bar at the end of the street. We actually end up eating there. And, you know, we're having a good old, and it's about 7 o'clock or so. And I look up, and who do I see? Tom Raz from Owens Armory. I didn't even realize Owen's Armory was like right across the street. Tom comes in after work and he's like, oh man, having a beer and sees us. So we start catching up. He drives me over to the shop. I check out the Owen's Armory shop, Owen's Armory rifle, Nick's little orange Chevelle, couple things, grab some swag. Then we go back, uh, we head back out. And, um, Nick comes out, Nick Beard, uh, or uh, not Nick Beard, Nick, yeah, Nick Owens. Beard Owens is what he goes by on the thing, but 
get to see everybody, the whole thing. Uh, just a great old time. Uh, uh, you know, really fantastic when you run into somebody like that and, and, you, and you get to see it. So uh, that was definitely fun. Shout out to Jimbo and his wife, Sarah, uh, for who were there. You know, met him at the, at the bar at the end of the night with Tom and Nick and everybody. And they were sitting around. We were all having a great big social thing. And uh, so Sarah, Jimbo, how you guys doing? Great seeing you that night. Lots of fun. You know, definitely a good crowd. But these guys up in Alaska, man, and, and came down here and, and did everybody proud. It was really, really, really a, a, a good, good class with a good group of guys. I was that guy. I was that anomaly. I was more of a problem than they were, you know. But it is what it is. We got through it. We got some great data. And uh, they all had fun. And, and everybody hit. Everybody hit first or second round somewhere there. Um, it wasn't throwing lead. It was really, really great stuff. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. I got some good interviews lined up. I got clearance for the Marine Corps side of things. I got an interview this weekend I'm going to be taking. I got an announcement to make, or somebody's got an announcement to make. Uh, there's some stuff going on that I'm going to get uh, exclusive here. So uh, stay tuned. Sorry I went so many days without a podcast with you guys, but as you could tell, my brain was just, you know, getting beat up with a hammer. And, and it, it is what it is, man. We adapt, we improvise, we overcome. We're jarheads, right? So that, that's what we do. All right there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. And don't forget to comment. Talk to you later.